Once you were on FIFA, though, did you play more or less of it? I have, swear to God, to this day, I've never played one second with myself on FIFA. <laughs> I've never like I I haven't I don't I I don't even think I've played FIFA one minute with any team since 2014. Welcome to Footy Fellas. Welcome, welcome to Footy Fellas. Welcome to Footy Fellas, coming at you from Chicago and Minnesota. We're going to be talking soccer, going to be talking life, playing games, playing mind games. we got a little something for you. This week's episode is brought to you from the good people at Crest Hill Farms. If you haven't yet, throw us a follow on Instagram at footyfellaspod, F-O-O-T-Y, fellaspod on Instagram. we got a great discussion for you in this episode with Harry Ship. Seattle Sounders midfielder and MLS Cup champion who is very recently retired and we chatted about his retirement decision. Also chatted about leading the collective bargaining agreement discussions with the league on behalf of the players, leadership on and off the field, and put him in the coaching hot seat, which Jones had a bit of fun with. We really enjoyed the discussion and you will too, so get excited for that. It's a nice nice 4th of July weekend pod. Recording going on here. How was uh, how was everybody's fourth? I had, a, uh, I, had a, I had a delightful fourth, Eli. I was invited over by the in-laws. Uh, my in-laws? No, your in-laws. I hung out with um, all you listeners. I hung out with Eli's girlfriend's parents on my July 4th, and it was delightful. I call them the American outlaws, actually. Oh. Because I'm such big fans. Wow. That's an interesting, interesting <laughs> spin like that on... That's, that's a... You could have gone... You could have gone in-law you could have stuck american the, in-laws you could have gone that route and then kept it <laughs> soccer related but also a nod to the fam i call them the outlaws the, but... the ones we care about the ones we love anyway digression huge digression lovely made some brats had some chicken had some uh conversation um as we sat on a nice patio and and let the evening surround us with uh crackling fireworks nice that sounds like a blast um I likewise had a good holiday, good 4th of July, went over to my aunt's house. Um, nice to see. I think there may have been too many people there looking back on it. No, questionable how many people, uh, uh, the size of the gathering was was a lot. Um, but we were outside for most of it. It was scorching hot, 94, sunny, played a little Ooh. bit of volleyball. As you can imagine, we were all soaked. But it was a blast. It was fun. And then we went over to Maddie's mom's to round out the evening. What was the intensity of the volleyball? Was it, were people laying out, diving, bumping, setting, Ooh, hitting? It was spiking? just one notch lower than that. Lower than diving. But it was intense. I mean, we weren't, we weren't messing around. Volleyball is a, is a definitely a sport where it, it, it ramps up quickly. I feel like we all are all fairly competitive folk and, and we can get there. Um, but it's it's one of those games where if you get like a, a critical mass of people, and I think critical mass is like probably what three people on your side, who are all fairly competent, mm-hmm. you can you can that game starts to take off. You get some rallies going. It gets dangerous. It it obviously goes to another level once you've included the six foot three guy at the net, oh, yeah. guy or girl at the net who just can block everything or spikes it, and you can't stop it. Right. But, 
It's a game I need to get more of in my in my life. Hard to do in these COVID days, but love that. Hopefully everyone enjoyed their fourth. And there's also a lot of good reminders on social media that I was seeing about just being thoughtful around the day and continuing to have important conversations about race in the U.S. and other people that are celebrating the holiday or not celebrating the holiday in very different ways that I found to be helpful reminders. And I know, Jones, we were, we were chatting about some of that yesterday as well. Yeah, we know we, t- we talked a lot about, um, you know, how how we are reconciling, um, you know, especially on, on July 4th, when you're starting to, to, you know, celebrate the founding of your, your nation, the its independence, it's its its own uh, nationhood. Um, and who were some of those founding fathers and, and how do you understand those quote unquote heroes, you know, the people we've, um, um, you know, he, you know, turned into heroes and, and how do you understand a hero? You know, you see so many Confederate statues being taken down. Um, how do you evaluate that versus, you know, those other founding fathers who have in some ways similar, similarly culpable faults in their lives. Um, and and end of the day, having conversations about these things. I don't think you know anyone's in a state to absolutely vilify anyone, but um, I think it's important that every day, whether whether it is a holiday um, celebrating your nation or it's a Tuesday and you're hanging out with your friends, it's always important to talk about each other, check in on each other, um, and do your best to help your brother by your side. Well said. On a uh, slightly lighter note for conversation, we were also talking about your your musical inclinations and what you wish you had done at one point. Mm. I was watching some some videos recently. Was listening to some new music, and 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 all of these sounds that I was absorbing this past week month has been how. Uh, prevalent the funky bass is in the back of some of these songs that have me jiving juking and jiving and i think to myself oh that would be cool if i could play it i'm talking about bass guitar not the you know formal classical bass very different similar but different you're talking about the cool bass i'm talking about no you're talking about the less cool bass (laughs) (laughs) talking about the bass that i think i i would i think would be cool if i could do in theory but Personality-wise, I'm not sure I'm a fit for guitar bassist. Where do you guys think? Oh, I you're can... fit. I, I know I'm fit, guys. You don't <laughs> question. I am. You're fit bassist. I can't. I, I, you know, I thought about that. I also thought about uh, playing a little some drums. I feel like both would be really cool. I mean, anything in a band is cool. What instrument in a band is the least coolest? Tell me that, and I'll debate you. The least coolest. Well, I have a lot of respect for all musicians, so. That it, that might be tough for me to single out a single instrument, but I agree with you and um, the drums. I think as you were talking about earlier, restless child instruments at a young age were tough. I can I can vouch for that. Um, being forced to play the violin throughout throughout uh, elementary and middle school, but you know, I at the end of the day, it was it was good to learn an instrument. Don't play it today, but um, yeah, I was too, I was super antsy, so I I would always fidget and be like practicing was definitely could only practice for like 10 minutes and then i would just want to run around in circles or you know playing in school during rehearsals or whatnot was always tough but drums seems like a really nice 
good instrument for those antsy, fidgety youngins just banging on big old drums <laughs> making music. We'll have to yeah. bring a, an EPL player on the pod at some point who played an instrument as a kid and only talk about them playing the instrument mm-hmm. as a kid, not even focus on <laughs> you know, the season. They're, they're not a Premier League player. They're no, a they're person. a former violinist right. at age six. Right. Probably. DeAndre Yedlin. There we go. DeAndre, <laughs> guess you, who we have on the pod? Former violinist DeAndre Yedlin. He's probably an oboe guy. He's definitely oh, no. clarinet, maybe a clarinet. Pulisic or, played or the section. flute. Had to have. Yeah, very clarinet. Well, we'll bring it back. Icy, you're going to take us through our last week today. I am. Yes. All right. Last week today, we're keeping it strictly to soccer. Uh, doing a little EPL and Challenge Cup review. So EPL first, we've got West Ham versus Chelsea as the game of week 32, in my opinion. Um, West Ham ended up winning three to two. Big win for them. They are moving, they're now three points outside of the relegation zone, which are the bottom three of the league. So definitely big win for them. A uh, big loss for Chelsea, who would have taken third place if they had won. Uh, instead, they sit one point back from Leicester City. Uh, next, we Sheffield United shocked, or unless you're Grammar, who knew they were going to win. Um, not so shocked. They beat Tottenham 3-1, to one, so that was a, a big win for them. Man City took down the Liverpool champions 4-0. Won't talk about that one. Man United on a little win streak. I personally think they are the best looking team coming back from this long break. Uh, they've just been on fire. Fun to watch. Really good for the fantasy team. And to wrap up EPL, we've got, um, oh, it's just, you know, becoming a very tight battle for those top five positions. The Wolves are right behind United, nipping at the heels. Uh, in this, in this week 33 that we're in right now, the Wolves did lose to Arsenal, so that sets them back. Uh, United won, so now they have a little more breathing space, but definitely gonna come down to the end of the season for those positions. Looking forward to it. Um, lads, before I move into the Challenge Cup, do you have any other comments about the EPL for the past week? Uh, I, I'm pretty excited. I, I like where United's headed. Um, I think uh, it's also at the, the end of the season, I'll, last thing I'll throw in there, the relegation battle, that's a whole other conversation we go there, but the top four finish is going to be very compelling on the last day of the season with Chelsea, Leicester, and United, and Wolves, I think, are all playing uh, between one another. I think it's Wolves, Chelsea, and, and United. I need to look this up right now. Couldn't write a better script. Yeah. Aside from Chelsea's one slip-up, those top teams have all been firing firing yeah. the last two weeks and all cylinders just keep picking up points and pushing each other further and further to see who can claim those top four spots. Possibly player the last few weeks, you could argue Christian Pulisic. Pulisic yeah. has been, has been great. Well. Yeah. He's been doing really well. Um, drawing, drawing PKs, getting goals, big goals. It's been fun. He's been great. In challenge cup news, um, Right, they have started the NWSL Challenge Cup is underway. Uh, the Utah Royals, uh, I did wa- or I watched highlights for their 3-3 game with Houston. Uh, very exciting. They have a, a young talent, Rachel Daly, uh, who was very dominant and actually got robbed of a 
a seemingly very legal goal in that game that probably would have given them to win. So, you know, you know she got robbed, a little, little robbery happening um, in this tournament, but I think uh, Utah is looking very dominant right now. I have to say, as I wrap up this section, MLS is back, I, I, and even the NBA at the end of the month. I think there are big question marks on, on these tournaments and how, how far they go because Florida is, in a, is kind of an out-of-control positive case, COVID case spiral right now. I mean, Jones, we talked a couple of weeks ago, and I thought if they averaged 3,000 new cases a day, it'd be 60,000 cases by the time the MLS is back started. They already have hit over 100,000 cases, and they're hitting like 10,000 positive a day in cases. So it's scary for Florida right now, case-wise, but we'll see. It's a lot of players that have decided to sit out for, for safety and health reasons and health of their family or some of these players in the NBA and in the MLB also that's coming back that have wives that are pregnant or for whatever else, personal reasons, a ton of big name players have already decided they're going to sit out among all the sports coming back. So we'll see how that impacts the play on the field and excitement around the actual tournaments and, and seasons. Going to head to our sponsor break before we come back with our chat with Harry. Again, could not do this without our sponsors. So huge thanks to Crest Hill Farms and we'll be right back with Harry. Hiya, neighbor. Mind if I join you? I noticed you were eating some Crest Hill Farms hickory-smoked cheddar. Mmm, does that smell good. Did you know that Crest Hill Farms now makes crackers, too? Oh, yeah. They're absolutely perfect complement to any Crest Hill Farms cheese. Crest Hill Farms crackers are molded by hand and toasted by nature. Our crackers, that is, Crest Hill Farms crackers, Snap in your mouth, and our seasons to match any occasion. Are you enjoying a little plate of hummus? Why not dip some Crest Hill Farms zesty olive cracker snappers? Nibbling on some smoked fish? <laughs> you should pair that with some Crest Hill Farms Sailor Bite seasoned crackers. Oh, are you watching the big game? Have you pull out a box of Crest Hill Farms Snacky Crunch Yums? Take one bite. And we guarantee you'll be feeling right as rain. Crest Hill Farms, making your day a little better. <laughs> Always soothing. Crest Wonderful Hill, I, love I love when Crest Hill works with us because it's just so soothing. It's almost meditative. It's, kind of, it's cathartic to hear Crest Hill Farms. Um, their, their brand, what they stand for, really is a wholesome nature. Um, bring, you, bring you back to being a child again. Kind of wholesomeness um that's why we that's why i'm an investor i don't know if you guys have considered it but i'm a big i'm a big donator big believer in the church of crestal farms crestal farms specifically requested him they said we don't just want the pod to read it we want max jones they didn't even care what the content of our pod was they were they were just looking for the voice actor the entire time they followed max to every single one of his pods mm -hmm. and required that crestal farm sponsors the pod Crest Hill. They pay, they pay us a good amount of money, so I don't think we could turn that down. They do. I've got all their free cheese they sent me in the fridge. They've been sending you free cheese? What? Yeah. You guys haven't been getting it? Well, we've been getting piles of crackers. Oh, my God. I bet they think we live together. 
Oh, they were supposed to do half and half. We said half and half, half and half, half and half. They said, what are you talking about? Said, we said half and half. And then they just send us the crackers and you the cheese. Oh, my goodness. Oh, no. This stinks. Footy Fellas is humbled to welcome onto the pod an MLS Cup champion and Lake Forest very own Harry Ship. Harry's career is nothing short of what my parents would call a dream. He played club soccer for the Chicago Fire Academy in high school and then went to Notre Dame where he played for four years, rounding out his senior year with a laundry list of accolades, academic player of the year awards, all that good stuff. My parents would love it. Um, a D1 national championship and a degree in finance. He was signed as a homegrown talent by the very team he grew up supporting, Chicago Fire, where he spent the first two years of his professional career um, and casually snuck in a rookie player of the year finalist his first year. He then went to Montreal uh, to play for the Impact for a year and then finished up the past three years playing for the Seattle Sounders, where, per usual, he picked up an MLS Cup championship in 2019. But knowing Harry, he doesn't stop his work on the field. He leveraged his finance background to help represent the Chicago Fire and Seattle Sounders during CBA negotiations. You could argue he's the reason the MLS's back cup even got off the ground. He was also recently accepted to Northwestern's Kellogg School of Management, where he'll now be able to attend full-time as Harry just recently announced his formal retirement from professional ball. Harry, we appreciate you taking the time out of your busy retirement schedule to chat with us. How's retirement treating you? It's all right. Um, yeah, thanks for having me on. It's It's been like a crazy, I think this is what, a week after, a little over a week after I formally retired, but took a couple of days. We packed up our stuff in Seattle and decided to drive back to Midwest with our dog. Um, took three full days. So that was kind of uh, an interesting few days and then just been here for a couple of days. So I really haven't had a chance to settle in and hopefully like the next week I'll actually have a chance to, to start enjoying retirement. <laughs> Beautiful. Where, where in the Midwest are you? In Louisville, Kentucky. Ooh, I assume a little, a little hotter than your Chicago summers. Yeah, and a lot hotter than I've been used to in Seattle. I forgot what humidity is like. (laughs) (laughs) Any any road trip highlights? Any either jam? If you got jammed out, or just the dog going crazy? Yeah, honestly, our our dog is so deathly afraid of the car, um, and we we knew that, and had never really driven more than like thirty minutes with her. So to go from thirty minutes to thirty five hours was. (laughs) <laughs> was pretty pretty nerve-wracking um but it was fine i honestly like it was just long we listened to some books on tape um like trevor noah's book on tape with if you guys have read that um which was really good and then just a bunch of music we stayed the night in billings montana and then omaha nebraska so two um thrilling cities and then <laughs> yeah uh, it was just long I, I had my expectations set incredibly low going into the drive so like it could only really beat what i had expecting well it sounds like you haven't really slowed down yet to no. fully enjoy retirement just after that exciting drive but yeah you're getting there we uh we kind of want to talk about the elephant in the room real quick yeah um you know you're, you're retired now yeah. we we imagine that that wasn't necessarily the quickest decision perhaps one you've been mulling over for for some time now yeah and i can walk you through the whole thought process if you want <laughs> Yeah, Spark notes, be, great, but we can go deep, be, we, whatever you want, man. Yeah, no, I think, I mean, it was something that, like, you know, you mentioned I was finance undergrad. So like for me, it was always something that I knew I didn't want to stay in soccer forever. Like I didn't want to go straight into coaching and just stay. So I had these other interests outside. Um, and I'd kind of done stuff last year um, 
just in my free time, I'd worked with some, with some tech startups in Seattle, just like, cause I had a bunch of free time in the afternoons and evenings. And it was something I'd kind of toyed around with. And I took the GMAT, which is like the test to get into business school. And I did well on it. So it was like, all right, this is an actual possibility. And then coming into this year, um, I had one year left on my deal with Seattle. So then I kind of just decided to apply and like, I applied to a couple schools, just if, if I got in, I'd be really happy, but not like committing to going. And, you know, there was a situation where like this year, you know, I played the first seven or eight months of this year and it went super well. And, you know, I pushed it down the road in a couple of years. Like, unfortunately that didn't happen. So I think, you know, for me, you're trying to weigh all these things. And I think one of the things that came into my mind as I like sat back and thought about it during three months of doing nothing was like, you have all these goals as a player that I'd had from the time I was nine years old, where you're kind of like checking things off the list. So like the MLS Academy, like, uh, play division one soccer, win a national championship, make it to the MLS, like prove you could play in the MLS. And then like, I had these things like play in Europe, play for the national team, play in a world cup. Like I had these things that I hadn't accomplished yet that were like huge dreams, but like realistically I wasn't going to accomplish because I felt like I was hitting my peak or plateau as a player that like everyone hits at some point in their lives. Like I was almost 30 years old. Like I knew I wasn't going to make this like magic jump to like help achieve those dreams. So I think for me, the thing that I was most excited about and the thing that like made me eventually make the decision was like, how can I create a new set of dreams and passions and goals? Like how can I become the best in the world at something else? Um, and like this transition will hopefully allow me like that process of figuring out what that next thing is that I, you know, put all my time and energy towards, but it definitely was not the easiest decision. And it was something I thought every day about for, for months. <laughs> how did the, how did the team take it? Uh, it was weird. I told a couple, like my two closest friends on the team, I had told um, um, a couple weeks before it went like public and I told the rest of the guys, but it was something, you know, we had started because we had that time where we weren't practicing or anything. We were just doing like stuff on Zoom and, and virtual workouts and stuff. And then we got back and we were actually starting to train again the last few weeks. And it was, I'd already made the decision at that point, but it was complicated because one, we were in the middle of the whole CBA negotiation thing. So I didn't really want to make it public or tell guys then because I think it would have like impacted how that was handled from my point of view. And then second, like I really did want to keep going to practice without it being weird until I knew I was leaving. So I kind of waited until the last minute and there was no like easy way to do it. Um, but guys were like super surprised. Cause I kind of, I told our GM and, and coach and owner on that Sunday. And then I told all the guys and all the staff and everything on that Monday um, and then the, the announcement came out Tuesday. So it was like everyone knew before it went public and everything, but it was like a very quick turnaround that I think some guys had a hard time wrapping their heads around. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So Harry, did you did you time it with the CBA uh, negotiation? You know, once it got approved? then did Yeah, you... and I think that was the thing that was like making me wait on the front end and the thing on the back end that I was kind of waiting to see was what, what happened with this whole Orlando thing um, and if it happened and what the date was on that because – like I knew since I, I decided I was going to go to school, like it didn't make sense to stick around doing that through August. Um, just cause it was like, I would rather spend the time with family and like be willing to not get paid during that time. But I think, yeah, I was kind of just waiting to see what happened with the Orlando thing. Cause there's also a world where like, if we started playing games in market, like maybe I would stay around and, and stay longer to the summer and like play into August. Um, but it was also something like I've never heard of any MLS player doing this in the middle of the year. So there wasn't really like a blueprint for how to handle it. And then given the whole the virus thing that's going on right now, like it was doubly, there was no 
great way to handle it. So I was kind of just like day by day figuring out like what my timing was going to be without a real plan. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's a very, very weird time uh, yeah. to, to be doing anything right now. So there wasn't any, any health risks that you didn't want to take, you know, going to Orlando. No, there wasn't no. anything on the health side. No, the health, and I, I had spent a ton of time like going over the medical protocols just because we had to and working with our doctors. So, like, I mean, it's never going to be ideal like going there and being in that environment, especially in Florida. But I also felt pretty good about like the testing, and they had all these contingency plans like for when people tested positive. And I think like I think that side was okay. Like, I don't think it was any more dangerous than guys living their day to day lives in their home markets. Um, but yeah, for me, it was just something that like, once I knew I was going to go to school, I, I wasn't really super interested in spending that much time in a hotel when I could be spending time with like family and my wife's family who I haven't really got to see a ton the last seven or eight years. Yeah, absolutely. And, and lot to, to balance, but yeah. you sound, you know, comfortable. You made the decision and new set of goals. Like you said, that's really interesting thinking about just checking off goals, plateauing, kind of being realistic yeah. with yourself, but also now you're aspiring to to do different things before we get into that, that mindset and the leadership on the field, what were those CBA discussions like? Cause we being on the outside don't have any insight to that. And we see, you know, the numbers that come out at the end and we see players reactions online and on social mm -hmm. media, but what's it like actually being in the room and making decisions for, for, for your teammates and for the, all the other players you represent in addition yeah. to yourself? Yeah, it's hard. I, I, you know, I got involved, um, right before the ones it was 2014 was my first year and I started getting involved with with the fire um, and then they had one at the right beginning of 2015 and I was kind of like brand new to the league and it was like I, I was trying to represent guys and give my own viewpoints having you know had familiarity with finance and business in college but I, I didn't really have like my these personal experiences that I could talk from so I think five fast forward five years I was doing it um, for the 2020 ones, it was like a lot easier for me to, I felt more comfortable leading guys. I felt more comfortable kind of giving my own take on whether it was proposals we were setting forward, whether it was proposals we were getting back from the league. So I think that process, the 2021, I think was actually, it was good because I think both sides felt like they came out winning, like, and it partly because it took 18 months to do. So like both sides got very comfortable with what the other side's goals were. And I think we got to a point where like legitimately both sides were happy with how it turned out, which is why it was frustrating. You know, obviously we couldn't have known then we were doing this, what was going to happen in the world. But I think you talk about the whole pay reduction and redoing the CBA and getting back to playing in Orlando. Those three things were kind of going on at the same time with this like part CBA negotiation part two. And I think both sides, no matter what happened, we're going to feel like they came away losing, um, which is why like the framing of it is hard. Um, and I think you see, like, I think the league, they did, I don't know. I think they, you talk about like the process and the procedural stuff they did and the content of the proposals they gave forward. And I think some of the stuff from a content point of view, at least at the beginning, like wasn't super creative. It was just like, how can we cut salaries as much as we can in 2020? And I think that was what set guys off. Like the whole negotiations got set off on a sour tone and you saw like the numbers were was like 50%, but it was retroactive. So it was like trying to cut salaries 75% for the rest of the year, which like was an absolute non-starter for, for guys. And then 
I just think it was a lot this the second one and that was the reason why I wanted to stay involved and see out the process is because it was like tense contentious I think there was situations where you know we weren't going to play the rest of the year we weren't going to get paid the rest of the year um and whether guys would be willing to take that and you know the thing I'm proud of is think guys in our locker room it was like the most I've ever seen guys really dive into the issues and understand the issues and it's hard when you're dealing with not just in English but having to explain stuff in Spanish French getting translations for guys like that part is not easy especially when um you know it hasn't it's going to have such a direct impact on their life so no I don't think like the result was it is what it is like it was never going to be perfect for either side but at least you know fans are able to have some some soccer in 2020 and you know, the reduction was low enough where guys can live with it. And that's kind of what our end goal was. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, I'm sure you're going to be the, the only guy headed to Kellogg with that, that CBA experience, yeah. unless, unless any, any other MLS players have, uh, have announcements. No, I mean, it's weird too. being like, cause you know, it's part of the reason why I was fascinated getting involved like seven years ago was everything you do in school is from like a management point of view. So like being on the other side and not every, you know, industry is unionized, but like being on the other side, I think, it's just interesting. And I think it'll bring interesting perspectives back, whether it's in school or, you know, if I'm in those roles after school, like I'll, I'll definitely have more of an empathy for the employee slash union side of things. Harry, I feel like a lot of your career um, has, has been dedicated to um, pursuing things off the field. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and in some ways they, they do yield results on uh, like, for example, you know, you were the NSCAA Academic Player of the Year, 2013. Um, you were the uh, Players Association rep for these negotiations for the Fire and the Sounders. And on the side, you went and studied for grad school and mm-hmm. now are attending. Um, it certainly sends an example for, for others on the team, but yeah. to what degree do you believe that your extracurricular drive off the field has helped lead to success on the field? Yeah, it's a good question. I don't know. I, I think for me, like, I just am trying to be driven in life in general. And like, I, I think for me, I just hold myself to a high standard. So I think in college, like the academic stuff was like, you know, the expectation for college athletes sometimes isn't the highest. And, you know, for me, it was like, screw that. Like, why do I have to sacrifice getting good grades and, and play a sport? Like, even if I would know I want to play professional after, like, why would I not try to get the best grades I could? And then I think coming professionally, like some of the stuff I did off the field, like with the team is, I think, you know, I like being in positions where, you know, guys look up to me and it's like a leadership role. And that was a way for me to kind of lead without necessarily being named captain. Cause I think a lot of times professional sports, it's like the captain's going to go, it's not like a voted position. So it's just going to go to like the highest profile player, the highest paid player. So I think for me, like having those other things that could have influence on the locker room and I could talk about with guys um, or just set an example for, for younger guys. Like I think those were things that I was super interested in pursuing. And I think, you know, it helped me form relationships with players on the field that ultimately led to, you know, inc- like better performance on the field because I felt like I had better relationships with, with some of those guys off the field. So Harry, you've been to the top of the mountain. You've won the hardware, both the D1 level and in the MLS. And looking back, what sort of similarities do you, do you notice in that 2013 Notre Dame championship squad and the 2019 Sounders team that really uh, kind of led you to be so successful? Yeah, I think um, it's different. I can talk about differences first and then similarities. I think differences like college 
it's just a very different environment I would say like in college you're all best friends like you feel like you're in this thing together like no matter what 100% because partly like it's who you live with eat with like you have no other lives basically besides those people um professional is different in that you're only like close with a few guys in most locker rooms and then everyone has their own lives and families and you're not going to like like it's just how it is like there's a lot of guys with strong personalities you're not going to like some of the guys in your locker room but I think you know the thing that was special about that 2000 or the last year's Sounders team was like even if everyone didn't like each other I think ultimately everyone respected each other Um, I don't think there was a single person like in any direction that had you know felt disrespect from anyone on the field Um, I think the thing that is similar between the two is like just this confidence that no matter what was going on in a game situation, whether, whether, whether we were down, you know, one, zero, two, zero, three, zero, like we just had confidence we're going to win the game. And I think that's something that's hard to put your finger on why that is. And maybe it's just having experienced guys who have been there before and like have won championships and have been around. And I think both those, I just remember thinking back to, to 2013 and last year, it was like, I don't care what the score is, how many minutes are left, like we're going to win the game. And I think you saw that. I think we had, you know, in Seattle, we had a few games where we came, you know, two or three goals down, came back and tie games, won games. I just, you know, you never that 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 ability to never panic um, was something that was definitely a similarity between both. What do you uh, what do you think helps cultivate that confidence? We we I'll let you think on this as we as I stall a little bit for you, but. Um, we, we had had a pod, I'm sure you listened to it a couple weeks ago where we <laughs> had talked about, um, <laughs> uh, we had talked about, uh, what we thought is integral to, to making a successful team and, and how you build one up and, and whether that's having, um, accountability for one another or, or being organized, knowing what your identity is, um, uh, from your experience on those two teams and, and whether that's from a leadership perspective or from just a holistic culture, mm-hmm. um, what do you think best nurtures that type of confident feeling yeah I think it's it's accountability and I think you I think the accountability thing was more true at the college level because I don't think our team was necessarily more talented than than like those other top 10 teams in the country Um, but I think we did have a system of accountability and trust that kind of was like built over the course of probably two or three years not just that one four-month season um, and then you have to have a couple good things go right. Like you have these small things that build confidence and you like kind of hang your hat on those, but it's like, I don't, I, yeah, I think there are alternate universes where that team in 2013 in college, like doesn't win a national championship. I think we just kind of, you know, had faith in each other, had confidence and timed everything. Right. I think the championship last year, I think, um, I think a lot of it, and it's more so at the professional level, a lot of it's talent driven. And I think, I think we were top two or three in the league in terms of talent last year. And then I think, you know, our staff and the team culture did a lot to make sure we got the most talent from those guys. Um, But I wouldn't, I'm not going to sit here and lie and say like we had this system of accountability where everyone felt accountable to each other. Like there was things that went wrong throughout the year. I just think when it, when it came time to like being in the playoffs and that closing stretch of 10 games in the regular season, like I think, guys were talented guys were put in a position to be on the field and make a difference and they made a difference. So I think like your, your big money players, when they're on the field, they need to make plays that change games. And we had guys that did that. When we chatted with uh, Evan Pankin, one of your, your fellow yeah. Notre Dame teammates on the, the 2013 championship squad, he said it was all him. 
we asked him what, what made you guys tick, and he just he took all the credit. Again, so I'll, let him think, I'll let him think that. It's fine with me. <laughs> yeah. you, can, you don't have to respond here publicly, but you can just shoot him in yeah. back. Yeah, I'll let him know. I'll let him know your thoughts. So, so you're kind of setting the tone, at least from, from what I'm hearing a little bit, um, when, when you kind of raise in the ranks, your, your separation between MLS and, and college, mm-hmm. um, that there's a balance between, you know, relying on the talent on the field versus the, the camaraderie of the players. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and it feels like that pendulum kind of swings a little bit more towards talent as you enter the MLS. How, how much more do you think? Um, is, there, is there an actual, um, you know, can you just load up your team with players like, you know, Zlatan and Alfonso Davies and Harry Ship and Max Jones, and then like you're set or, um, you know, is there, is there, are there people who put together MLS teams where they're looking for characters in, in particular? It's not a matter of just how much talent we have. I think, um, I think it's a balance. I think you're looking MLS now, I think it's a little bit different than it was maybe 10 years ago where you had those like two or three guys that were super high paid and the rest of the roster wasn't great. I think, and Sounders specifically, our, our GM did a really good job that, you know, they were able to get probably 11 to 14 guys that were really high quality players that could be playing elsewhere in the world. Um, whether they're making, you know, they're maybe not making $6 million, but they're making somewhere between 500 and two and a half mil, 500K and two and a half million. I think you have a bunch of those guys. Um, that's kind of the direction where a lot of successful teams in the league have gone. But I think, I think over the course of a long season, it's kind of like the NBA where you're going to have nights and weeks where you're going to need guys, you're going to need to have a deep roster and you need to have guys that have that camaraderie because maybe they're not playing week in and week out, but when they step in, you know, for one game, they can make a difference and play well. But I think ultimately our success is, um, has been, I think a lot of teams they're known for success in the playoffs and, Again, it's like the NBA where you need your most talented players to play well, and that's um, that those top teams. That's like what you see, and that's what we were able to do. Making, you know, we made the finals, or they Sounders. I was missed the first one, but they made the finals three out of four years, and there's like a reason why. And I think a lot of it has to do, you know, with talent. Before we get into some of these last uh, throwing some players at you, just shifting yeah. back to you and your your leadership style and your involvement. Yeah, would you say that there's been certain defining moments in your career that changed how you either approach your, your entire career or approached how you lead professionally, personally? Yeah. I think for me, the big one is, is going to Montreal and that's not really like a moment, but I think getting, I mean, for like realistically, most things in my life soccer wise had been successful up into that point. Like I had been successful in high school and I had, you know, had a successful college career then, you know, was in the league and played for the fire. And even though, you know, even though our team wasn't good, I was individually pretty successful for two years. Um, and that was like the, you know, getting that call out of the blue and getting traded and then like having a rough time adjusting for the first few months of that. Um, it kind of makes you sit back and, and that's like, yeah, it's dumb. Cause it's like, it's not really, I mean, obviously I had setbacks along the way, but it was the first time where it was like something major was like, oh my God, I really don't like soccer right now. And like, why don't mm-hmm. I like soccer? And, you know, it's not fun to go to work every day and I'm not enjoying living here. Is this something I really want to do? Like, do I want to retire now? Like, is it worth it? You have all these questions and you're, you know, coming home and sitting through and like thinking about these things every day. And, you know, by the end of that experience, a couple months later, um, you know, I realized I did still love it, you know, and I kind of changed my whole attitude of, 
I'm going to work every day and who I needed to prove stuff to. And it was like, how do I just focus on these little, you know, tangible improvements in my own day-to-day practice life to get back? You know, by the end of that year, I felt like I was, you know, playing better and we ended up making the Eastern Conference final. Um, and then that, that off season, I got traded to Seattle. Um, and I was, you know, obviously really excited about that. And then, you know, I had a relatively successful three and a half years where I felt like mentally I was in a way better spot than I was after that first trade. So I was proud of like how I handled that, handled that from like a mental side of point of view. Cause I never really, I had a bunch of feelings and thoughts that I'd never had in my soccer career before. It was the first time I ever really like had confidence issues. Um, Cause up until that point, like I had just been probably the most confident person on the field my entire life. Um, so like dealing with that was probably something that was, you know, I was proud of. Who, who's someone uh, in your life that has had a, a major impact on how you lead? Uh, Ooh, you um, probably say a college coach, Bobby Clark. Um, and I know like I had a bunch of different coaches professionally, but he's still like from a X's and O's point of view, the best soccer mind I've been around. Um, but also just some of the, like how to handle yourself, how to handle yourself, um, both on the field and off the field. A lot of those things that I still think about to this day, I learned from him and just, I think having the balance between being humble and having humility and confident. And like a lot of people can't find that right balance, but like learning to have that balance and show others how to have that balance was something that I learned there and something I've tried to carry into my own life. Um, I think just like having, from him too, like the ability, whether things are super high or super low to just kind of keep an even keel and, you know, every day show up, do your job, no matter what's going on in your soccer or personal life. And, you know, have this like cautious optimism for what's next, but not expect things to go well. Um, I think that was something I learned from him and, you know, something again, I tried to do in my own life, but also tried to help other guys do. (laughs) There's something about the, the college years playing soccer, we, we played D3 soccer, a bit different, yeah. you know, on the field, but similar kind of camaraderie and life lessons you take from that as you're between those ages playing college soccer. We had the same kind of mantra of never too high, never too low at uh, at Hamilton where I played D3 soccer. So that's kind no, of No, it's been super helpful because just in general, like this is a business when you get in professional level, like both individually and from a team point of view, like you're going to have really high highs and really low lows, partly because like you have this public pressure, this financial pressure, like all this stuff. So I think for me, like being able to like learn that in college and really adopt it before I got to professional level helped me, um, help me and help the teams I was on, I think, uh, you know, be better. What do you think is one misconception that fans may have about MLS players? You, you just talked a bit about, you know, the financial pressure, other pressures, you, you're really in the public spotlight, but yeah, as fans, we're on our couches watching games, thinking things. What's a common misconception about MLS players? Yeah, I mean, I think it's just, I mean, I haven't really thought a ton about this, but I think it applies to like all athletes is like we're normal people too. So I think, I think people, I think people in locker rooms care more about what others, random fans think than maybe fans think they do. So I think like, some people take things hard and like, I think others are better. Like I was someone who like never checked online, social media, read anything about myself. Like, cause I just had no interest in like feeling those public pressures or anything. But I think there are a lot of guys that really take to heart what people say, whether it's online or, you know, like 
in the newspaper, like whatever fans at games. Like I, I do think, I don't know, like you're, we're human beings. We're emotional. Like people are emotional. They want to one, like have the best career possible and provide for their family. But they also too like, don't want to disappoint the people that they're quote unquote playing for. So you know, that was kind of a generic answer, but if I think of something else, I'll throw it in there. <laughs> <laughs> it's real. You're seeing it a lot now with, players having to make decisions of family versus playing with, with COVID and, yeah. you know, you see with MLS and NBA and Lee's going back. And it's another good and important reminder that these guys are playing a sport for money guys and girls, yeah. everyone's playing a sport for money, but you know, they're, they're people, they got families. Yeah. And I think, uh, and I think too, like, and you see it again, you see it in all sports, but it's like, you'd see someone on the street, like, let's say you lose a couple games in a row or people aren't, you're not playing well or not playing or whatever. It's like people expect you to vote. 24 hours of your day, seven days a week to like turning things around because you owe that to them. But like, that's just unrealistic. Like people have lives. It's like any job, right? Like you go to work and maybe you invest more physically than other people, but like you also can't spend 24 hours a day, like thinking about it and doing it because that's going to drive you crazy too. But people like have that expectation that especially when things aren't going well, that you're devoting your entire life to try to like start winning games again, which I think is, is an unrealistic expectation. <laughs> Yeah, that's good to hear. Glad some someone had to say it. So we're glad, <laughs> glad you did. Did you guys, your teams, any of the teams you played on throughout your career, did they do any like team building away from the pitch kind of activities that really brought the team together? Maybe in college, it's a little less necessary since you're all on campus. You see each other all the time. You probably hang out a lot. But at the professional level, right, even you had said players' relationships are a little, uh, you know, they, they – they might be a little distant just because yeah you're just and you have the language barrier so it's like hard but i think um i think for us like the big time was preseason because it was really the only time like we would go at whatever club i was on we would always go away um for usually a month to six weeks before the first game partly because i played in climates that like weren't warm weather so we had to go away Uh, but i think Mm -hmm. that's like the one one time throughout the year that you're actually spending time together and you're not just like eating meals and preparing for a game. You have off days, you can go golfing. We can, you know, go out, we can go out to dinner, like do these things that it's really hard once people get back to their lives, like to do. So I think pre-seasons, because it's also the very beginning because every year you're having a new team. So I think having that, you know, time of year being right as we have a bunch of new guys who are in, um, I think they do a pretty good job of like having some, unofficial team activities, whether it's a night out or whatever. Um, I think we tried to do, um, like for Seattle, we tried to do a couple events a year where we would do like, usually we would do one full team dinner and night out, like at some point throughout the year that our owner would pay for. And then we would do like some random, like we one one year we did like a laser tag event or like paintballing we did one year just for fun. Um, and it's not like mandatory for guys. So there were a couple guys that maybe wouldn't come, but you know, for one day out of, you know, three or four months, you could usually get guys to come and, and try to be part of it. So those things were always fun. Paintball for fun is kind of wild because for me, it's always painful and very, yeah, you know, I mean, get, get, get the adrenaline going. It's, I'm it the seems same like a way. No, I'm, <laughs> yeah. the, I'm the same way. I would just like, literally walk out before i even got hit because i didn't want to get hit <laughs> I'm with you. i would just put my arms up i would put my arms up and say i got hit <laughs> the real team player right there yeah. that's why we brought you on. that's great <laughs> um so i, I love I, this is this this transition is pretty tough to do after a conversation but uh stick with me here yeah um 
you know, after after talking about not objectifying uh, MLS players and that they have personalities and stuff, I uh, I have for you a list of probably some of the most objectified players possible, <laughs> um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna throw some of them at you. Some of them are are players that you may have played with and yeah. practiced with, maybe even gone to a training camp or two. Who knows? Yeah. Um, and some you've you've played against. Um, I want you to put your coach's hat on for us, if you wouldn't mind. Yeah. Um, now that you're, uh, you're retired, <laughs> and um, and help help us understand, you know, what are this player's strengths or weaknesses, and um, how we might stop them if we're playing against them. And if you know, if you needed an anecdotal story to help contextualize some of your answers, we you know we would appreciate that. Okay, too. I'll do my best. Um, <laughs> awesome, I love it. Um, so let's start with a, a this is a small small name guy. You may have heard of him. Um, uh, Didier Drogba played with Montreal back in the day. Um, we're lining up against him. What are what are your thoughts? How, how are we stopping this guy? Ooh, I mean, 10, 15 years ago, good luck. Uh, but I think, I think by the time I played with him, um, you know, he was older, so I would say like he wasn't super mobile. So if you can figure out a way, you know, when when I played with him, it was like he wanted everything to feet. He wanted to kind of post up and you know have the ball come to him. And he was he had super soft feet and was really good once he could get in kind of roll center back. So I think, you know, I think figuring out a way to front him and make him kind of run into the channels because that wasn't something he really wanted to do. Um, so that would be my my way of of trying to stop him is just kind of forcing him to be more mobile. Beautiful. Uh, I want to pause for a second. Do you support a team in the EPL at all? Uh, I, when I was young, I was a really big Arsenal fan. Um, and I really like, like, I liked, uh, Cesc Fabregas, which is part of the reason why, um, as I've gotten older, I would say I don't have a huge, like, I like the way Tottenham's played the last couple of years, which I know is incredibly sacrilegious to say as a former Arsenal fan. Um, <laughs> I just know I really don't like Man United or Chelsea or Man City. <laughs> Yeah, wow. Liverpool's right. still on the table. So, yeah, I, <laughs> Liverpool, I'm actually like, I'm not, I'm indifferent. I'm, I don't hate them, but I don't love them. <laughs> All right, fair. Fabregas back in FIFA 12, I want to say, yeah. was was pretty sweet in the middle. Yeah, I know. That's like back when I was actually still. It's hard to like once. I mean, I could go into this for days, but like once it became my job, like I would say I watched way less soccer, partly because like it was my job. So like I watched some MLS and I watched a lot of like stuff to scout, but I would say I spent less time weirdly watching European soccer once I became a pro, just cause I like needed an escape from it. <laughs> once you were on FIFA though, did you play more or less of it? I have swear to God to this day, I've never played one second with myself on FIFA. <laughs> I've never, like I, I haven't, I don't, I, I don't even think I've played FIFA one minute with any team since 2014. <laughs> wow. That's yeah. serious restraint. Not even it's yeah. not it's different when you're playing against someone. It's like, oh, I don't want to pick my own team. But even by yourself, you know, career. Yeah, I don't, I don't even like, and I'm just not a video. And that was partly why I've, I did a bunch of stuff off the field. It's like I don't, I've never been a video gamer, and like a lot of guys on our team are super into video games. I mean, that's how they spend their time off the field. I've I've never owned a console or anything, so I think for me, it was like I was always looking for other things to do outside of playing FIFA, <laughs> like studying, reading books, getting yeah. great. <laughs> Yeah, trying enough. to make my, trying to improve my life somehow. Yeah. <laughs> shut, shut Wait, yeah. What are, what are you saying about people? No, yeah, no. It's all right. I'm not saying anything. <laughs> so uh, the uh, the next guy on this list actually happened to play for Tottenham back in the day. Um, his name's Clint Dempsey. How yeah. are how are we gonna stop this guy? We're gonna stop him. 
he's kind of, I mean, yeah, I don't want to like speak too badly about him, but I would say he, he definitely has a temper and, and then like, he gets, he snaps. So I think, you know, there was a lot of games I played with him and I played with him for about a year and a half where, you know, he got a red card because he did something stupid because someone on the other team was able to get under his skin. So I think for me, if you're going to stop him, like, I think it's pretty easy to get under his skin and try to like bait him into doing something that not only hurts him and gets him, but it also hurts the team, removes him from the game. Love the strategy here. You're, you're playing yeah. psychological games now. It's not- <laughs> I mean, like Clint was such a good player and like, he's probably the best finisher just playing with him every day in practice. Like I've never been around a better finisher than him. Like if he got the ball in the box, he was so composed and he's so good at finishing that like, I guess for me, he, he'd also like outside of the bait him into a red card thing. I think he got sometimes frustrated and came pretty deep to get the ball. So I think it was, you know, for, for us, it was frustrating because he would come, you know, back to where like the number six usually is if he hadn't touched the ball for a while. So I think the more you can like force him to get the ball 70 yards from the opposing team's goal, he's not going to hurt you um, because it is like he has sometimes wants to do that, even though he's more effective just staying as high in the field as possible. Awesome. Uh, another guy who, you know, you look at, you look at the mental game that they, they provide uh, this guy's got, got probably one of the biggest heads in, in the game. Um, he goes by the name of Zlatan, just yeah. a one, one name guy. Uh, you, you dabbled with him. You, you've, yeah. you've, you've played against him. How, how are we going to stop him out there? I, I, he is someone that like, he does incredible things and amazing things, but I would absolutely hate to play with him. Um, and that's like not answering your question directly. I just having like been on the field and played against him a bunch of times. Like, I think he is someone that, makes his team worse because he gives everyone no confidence around him and you know just the stuff he would say to players and stuff I think for me was it always made me say well I'm glad I'm not playing with him um from an opposing point of view like I think taking advantage of the fact that he's a pretty horrific defender and doesn't want to put any effort on that side of the ball so I think um you know maybe making you know being patient and building out of the back and kind of forcing him to exert more energy than he wants to. I think what he wants is you to just like get past his line as quickly as possible. So he doesn't have to run or do anything. And then he can save his energy for when they have the ball. Um, So I think the more you can make him kind of exert at least some energy defensively, I think it's going to hurt him when, uh, you know, when he isn't in position to, to hurt you on, on the attack. Awesome. Uh, we're, we're taking notes, so sorry if we're not as responsive. <laughs> um, the, the last one here is a guy that you, I don't know, you tell me if he was really on, on people's radars back, back in the day, especially when you played against him, but, um, Alfonso Davies is, is taking yeah. the world by storm. And, yeah. um, I think it's one for the future and, and people who are going to be listening to this coaches, big, big name coaches are going to be listening to this. And they're going to want to, they're going to want to know how, how to stop him and, and good, good for them. Cause they have Harry ship on this podcast yeah. to let know how. God, I, I don't know. That guy is so fast. It's crazy. Um, I remember playing, we played against him when he was a few times when I was Seattle and I was playing outside mid on the left and he was playing like right wing and like part of our, for Vancouver and part of our plan was always to like, for me to double back on him to, so he, he didn't just have like a free head of steam running at our left back. But there was like, you get used to like playing because a lot of times when you're, when I'm playing outside mid, you're tucked in defensively. And then if the ball goes wide, you have these angles you're used to taking to try to like 
whether you're pressuring the outside back or the outside mid, but for him, like all these angles I'd been used to taking, like just in my mind and visually, like he would always beat them. So I was always like, I would try to cut him off, but I was always like two or three steps behind. And it was like the only player to this day that I felt like I could, no matter how like steep my angle was to try to cut him off, I never got there. Um, so to stop him, I think when he gets the ball wide, and it's a little different now he's playing outside back than when he was playing like inverted winger. Um, but I think you're so used to wanting to let guy, like you want to kind of force guys back into the middle usually when you're playing out there. But I think, or no, you want it, sorry, you want to keep guys wide um, because you don't want them cutting back in the middle, especially if they're inverted. But I think for him, like he was so fast that if you keep him wide, he's going to turn the corner on you. So that's why it was always like hard because like you would keep him wide, but he would still find a way to like get around you on the outside and then cut back in front of you. So I, I don't know. He was like one that, and he was young, like obviously he's grown a ton in, in the last couple of years. And there's a reason why he's successfully playing for, for Bayern now, but yeah, he was someone I played against when he was like 17, but I, you know, you knew that he was going to be, you know, have an incredibly successful career because he had these physical tools that I had just never seen before. That's he's so quick. He's he's basically breaking the formula you're talking about, yeah. which is you, you develop as a player where you understand people moving, even if you're not a mathematician, you understand yeah. you know, where you shade, where you need to bring the double, all that kind of stuff. And he yeah. like breaks the whole game. Yeah. And it was like, yeah, it was incredibly frustrating because we'd have, I remember sitting in half times, like talking to our left back, like figuring out like what we were, <laughs> like, were going to do, because like there was one half, he just absolutely killed us. We basically just forced them to go to the other side. Like we didn't even, I would like stay out wide and then we kind of totally changed how we defended um, just to try to prevent him from even getting the ball because he was killing us. I'm going to be honest. I'm not sure coaches really got much help on that no, one. No, <laughs> the one that like, and I think partly too, like, yeah, he, yeah, he was at, a lot of those other guys were kind of at the tail end of their careers when I played with him. So there was ways you could kind of figure out how to physically break them down. Whereas he was not going to be physically broken down at 19. <laughs> well, we uh, we hope that we can have another retrospective conversation in the coming years, and we can reflect on how your your strategy's been applied to Alfonso, and yeah. um, and, and see if it's been an, an impactful. But yeah. but um, until then, um, Harry, uh, we want to thank you for your time today. This has been a ton of fun, um, and we really do appreciate you um, giving us all the insights into your career, um, as well as this this new phase of your career. And, and we wish you the best of luck. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. It was it was fun big thanks to harry for chatting with us and giving some insight into what he plans to do now that he's retired we're excited for him to go to grad school and do a lot of awesome things in the future and big thanks to all of you for listening staying in there with us and hopefully you had a great weekend we'll be back next week i love you see you next week The biggest con of playing bass would probably be lugging around that massive instrument. Well, yes. If we're talking, if we're talking the classical bass, I'm I'm more so. We're talking about bass guitar. I'm talking about bass guitar. Oh, I'm, I'm, you're a savage. <laughs>